Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. This episode is brought to you by Helper. Are you in search for the perfect health insurance? Well, look no farther because they are the ultimate platform that revolutionizes the way that you find, enroll, and manage your health coverage. HealthBird offers an innovative solution that is tailored just for you. They have a lightning-fast search engine that you can effortlessly compare health insurance quotes in milliseconds. There's no more tedious hours of browsing endless websites or spending hours on the phone with insurance agents. They offer a user-friendly app available on iOS and Android, which puts the power of managing your health insurance right at your fingertips. So again, you know, don't let the complexity of health insurance overwhelm you. Join Helper community and experience a seamless, intuitive platform that puts you in control. So get a quote today at healthbird.com forward slash dealmakers. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a very exciting founder, you know, a founder that has uh, the experience, the chops, you know, he's built, scale, finance, everything that you can think of. And we're going to be learning quite a bit, you know, with what he's done. His journey is quite remarkable and very inspiring, especially for other European entrepreneurs like myself, you know. So I think that without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Paul Johnson. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. So originally born in the UK, so Paul, I know that there was quite a fair bit of uh, traveling, you know, growing up, but give us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? Sure. Well, I was born in Luton, which is about uh, an hour, hour and a half outside of London. And um, I lived there until the age of eight when, as a family, we moved to the Netherlands. And I was lucky to go to the British school in the Netherlands and have friends from uh, countries all around the world. And so uh, studied through middle school and high school in the Netherlands up until the age of 16 when I moved back to England uh, after that uh, to Worcestershire, a little countryside village, Worcestershire. So so how was that like, you know, for you, like moving from one place to the next? You know, I'm sure that making new friends, changing schools, you know, I'm sure that that was full of uncertainty and I'm sure that that has shaped who you are today. I think it probably had an influence. I think one of the things I realize now on reflection was how much I enjoyed living in a different country other than England as well. Like England will always be my home and I have so many happy memories growing up in England. But the time that we had as a family in Holland was really exciting. We were all having to learn a new place together, learn a new language. None of us spoke a word of Dutch when we got there. Um, I have a younger sister, four years younger than me. and and my mum and dad, we, we, were, we were really sort of learning things together. I, I got the opportunity to play a lot of tennis and really found a love for playing tennis while I was in Holland, um, some fantastic tennis clubs and got to play in some, some tennis teams and, and just a wonderful place to grow up as a, as a kid, very safe. We would cycle to and from school every day, whether it was sunny, raining, snowy, icy, with our group of friends and uh, yeah, just a, a wonderful place to grow. Would you say that uh, that competitiveness in you, you discovered it during that time playing tennis? I think so. And increasingly, as I've met other founders through my career, 
I realize there's often a correlation between founders and people who've played competitive sports at some point in their life. And I think I can see that. For me, that was tennis growing up, and I played it to quite a competitive level in in Holland and then again back in England. And uh, a little while back, I stopped playing tennis, and I now play competitive pickleball, which is uh, the fastest growing sport in the US and a lot of fun if you haven't tried it. And uh, I think, yes, uh, that's my new competitive outlet. Well, hey, I think that that competitiveness, you know, definitely, you know, planted the seed for you to, uh, in the world of entrepreneurship, you know, you started selling tennis equipment, you know, with your, I guess, technological skills that you had acquired. So how was that, you know, moment where you realize, hey, I can actually make money from my, from my passion? It all started, I think, from playing tennis. So uh, my first realization was that when people play tennis, particularly at a higher level, you break your strings a lot. And and for me, that was a pain because I had to then take my tennis racket somewhere and get it restrung. So um, I was uh, fortunate to persuade my parents to buy us a restringing machine so I could restring the rackets uh, on my own at home. And, and that certainly saved us some money. And I realized that I could actually start doing this for other people as well and make a little bit of money out of that. And then I realized, wow, what if I created a website and started selling other sports equipment and ultimately other things, including computer equipment, I started selling online. So I taught myself how to how to code in PHP. And this was when I was um, uh, 16, 17, uh, while I was uh, finishing up high school and I'd rush home from high school at lunchtime to take the orders to the post office. And I and I realized that I had a real energy, a real excitement from building websites, building digital experiences, figuring out how to get people to come to the website, how to turn them into a paying customer, how to give them a great experience so that they keep coming back time and time again. And, and I think as I now reflect a little bit later on in my career, it almost doesn't matter whether you're selling a tennis racket or a computer or a healthcare service, as I have been doing more recently. Many of those concepts are still the same, um, of course, nuance. But but that was the start of my entrepreneurial journey. Now, one thing that is really interesting here is that you know I've met a lot of people that were geeky and went to computers, and then you know eventually later on in life, you know they got into tennis and they were really amazing in tennis. And I have some friends that are like absolutely ridiculous. You would think that they went to like you know tennis, you know called college tennis. Now, in your case, it's very unique because you were able to blend the geeky side with the athletic side very early on, you know, as a, as a, as an individual. So that's quite unique. I got to tell you. Well, I, I, I was lucky. My, my parents encouraged us or kind of supported us in playing whatever sports we enjoyed. And I really enjoyed tennis. And for me, uh, it was a lot of fun. And uh, I didn't I'd probably think about it like this at the time, but it was great exercise as well. And, and, and it was definitely great from a social aspect. I found that when I was a, a child growing up, I was playing in tennis teams and we'd every weekend we'd go and play tennis matches against other teams. But I also realize now the importance of learning a sport when you're younger because later in life you can use those skills to start to build um, new communities, uh, new friends and and have activities you can enjoy later on in life. So I'm certainly grateful for my parents for encouraging us to do that. Now, after you um, finish up your studies, 
you know you did uh, you know your your studies there uh in in europe basically computer science and and business management one thing that stands out here for me is that you chose more the business side you know over perhaps the technical side and especially as you were going you know from one job to the next now how does that lead into you one day saying i think i want to build a business you know i think the way that i thought about it was there was a little there's a little bit between the technology and the business that that at that point was sort of e-commerce was sort of digital experiences where where you were really trying to get consumers to interact with a website or, a, or eventually a mobile app and and for me that 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 seemed to fit well with my what i found exciting and and what i felt my strengths were so so as i sort of came out of university and and went through a series of jobs i think the 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 thing that was a constant was where i was able to bring some business skills and experiences but typically where the business was trying to use technology to innovate at some more traditional industry so i think an example of that would be zooplus where i was uh, my job was to uh, found the UK arm of um, uh, an online pet supply e-tailer, so selling rabbit hutches, dog food, um, dog kennels online. So really using technology to create an experience that was new and different relative to the traditional workflow, which was um, typically local pet pet stores. And then after that, I got the opportunity to go and work at Lloyd's Pharmacy, which was the largest community drugstore chain in the UK. And again, trying to bring digital innovation to an industry that's more traditional in its foundations, in this case, pharmacy industry. And uh, I think that's where two things came together, or maybe three things. The first was I always had a childhood dream of moving to Silicon Valley. I, I had no knowledge of what Silicon Valley really was. I had no, never been to California, but, but, but as a as a sort of young budding entrepreneur, I, I always heard that that was the place to be. And that's where you could raise lots of money and you can build great businesses that, that have an impact on people's lives. And I think the second thing that happened was my father was diagnosed with cancer by chance. He was um, the ordering physician accidentally checked the wrong box on a paper form. And what with that kind of background of using technology to innovate in industries that were more traditional or old fashioned, that really stood out to me. And it, it almost made me angry that we were still ordering lab tests, ticking boxes on paper forms. That just seemed so wrong to me because it was so open to error. You accidentally, you, you know, the doctors are, have got a lot to do and they're accidentally, you know, ticking the wrong box. And, and then, Maybe someone does or does not get diagnosed with something they should have got diagnosed with. So in my case, my dad's case, we were fortunate because he was accidentally diagnosed with cancer. It meant that he could get treatment sooner and uh, he recovered. But that sort of drove this this passion for me that I've had ever since, which is uh, a desire to use some of my experiences of building technology in um, more traditional industries to bring about change for better for those consumers, or in this case, patients. So uh, so about nine years ago, I moved from the little countryside village in England that I lived in to San Francisco to go about building Lemonade Health. So then how 
you know, what happened next? You know, you moved to San Francisco, unbelievable, you know, the innovation, perhaps, you know, the, the, the access now that you gain to the community of talent, of uh, investments, of uh, really everything, you know, to, to build this thing up. What were the early days like? I remember the very first day that I lived there, I went to Starbucks and grabbed a drink. And on the table next to me, there were people talking about setting up a business to to create um, flying cars. And I, in that moment, I realized, wow, like this is a cool place to be. There's lots of people doing amazingly cool things. Um, so the, the the business idea that that we had, that my co-founder Ian moved from the UK as well to set Lemonade up with me. The business idea that we had was to create an online doctor or digital doctor experience that's more like booking a hotel than it is going to see a doctor in person. So um, I reflected on the healthcare system and I realized that there's not many of us that go to see a doctor or go to the hospital and leave saying, wow, that was an amazing experience. I want to leave five stars. Well, we do that in other walks of life, but we just never do that in healthcare because the experiences of in healthcare are generally poor. Um, and and we wanted to go about building a healthcare experience that where patients used our service and left saying, "Wow, that was amazing!" They really went above and beyond, and they gave me a great experience. And that was the driver. And um, we had eight years of of building and running Lemonade. I was so naive in so many ways. I going back to this sort of childhood dream of wanting to move to Silicon Valley, I assumed I'd go to Sand Hill Road and knock on the doors of all of the investors and tell them this great idea that I had, and they would give me lots of money, and we'd create this amazing business and help millions of patients. And it was a the ultimate roller coaster ride for me. We, uh, we ran out of money twice. We had to stop paying our employees a couple of times. We had investors who told us that that this business was unlikely to succeed, so we should think about shutting it down. We, we, we really had, we really learned so much. But during those eight years, we were fortunate to have raised uh, money from fantastic investors. Uh, we were uh, fortunate to have helped millions of patients. We had a fantastic team of about 170 people when we ultimately got acquired. And uh, it was just an amazing learning experience. And I feel lucky that we were able to create something that that, that really helps a lot of people. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard and already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieverson, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So 
Again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. So for the people that are listening to get it, what ended up being the business model of Lemonade? How are you guys making money there? So we, the business model pivoted a few times, like, like many startups do. We, we started by building a technology that we thought we could sell to healthcare providers to help them see patients more efficiently. So when we were looking at the market in the US, we saw the first wave of telemedicine companies really putting doctors and patients on Skype and saying, do what you do in person, but just do it on video. And that would be a little bit like if Expedia was Skype with a travel agent or um, online banking was Skype with a bank teller. But I believed with that technology background that technology can play a much more important role than just being the communication channel in healthcare. So we built a technology platform that, that took in structured data from patients and was able to digest that data and present recommendations to doctors as to how to manage a patient even before the doctor has seen that patient. And, and that, was, that was very novel and new in the US. And our plan originally was to sell that to the healthcare system. We would go to the healthcare systems and we'd say, hey, we've got something that allows you to see uh, more patients per doctor hour, provide better quality care, more standardized, consistent care, and the experience for patients will be better as well. Um, but it was a tough sell. The sales cycles selling into healthcare systems are very long. Um, and in the end, we pivoted to become our own healthcare system in a way. We used that technology to power our own direct-to-consumer healthcare experience to allow patients to get access to care called Lemonade Health. We built um, websites and mobile apps, and patients would self-pay and use our service to get access for a variety of primary care healthcare needs. So in this case, you know, like not only you're dealing with building a business from the ground up, but then also as an uncertainty there that is very hard. But then also you have the fact that you're dealing with a ve very heavily regulated, you know, uh, segment. So how was that balance, you know, between both? It was really tough, actually, and tough in a few ways. The first way was that healthcare in the U.S. is mostly regulated on a state-by-state -state basis. And again, one of the many things I didn't know before moving to the U.S. Uh, I was assuming I was moving to one regulatory framework, but actually every single state has slightly nuanced regulations as it relates to healthcare. And what's even more complicated for us trying to provide healthcare through a mobile app was that these regulations were mostly written before mobile phones even existed. So they were written with that mindset of healthcare can only be provided when a patient comes to a doctor's office and that interaction is in person. So having to navigate those was really difficult. And at times, we'd have challenges from the state medical boards or the state pharmacy boards who'd be concerned about what we were doing. And our approach was, was that this is innovative. And actually, we can show you that we're providing better quality care, but, but, but often um, the regulators would have a different view. So, so that was that was tricky and uh, hard for us to navigate. And that, that also then related to our ability to fundraise as well. We certainly are not an example of a company that found fundraising very easy. We found it very difficult. 
And one of the reasons for that was when we were fundraising in our Series A round about six years ago now, it was really difficult for us to persuade investors that direct consumer healthcare might be something that might work out in the future. And I think now we look back on that, and there's lots of successful direct consumer healthcare companies, but we were really doing it for the first time. And we weren't doing a good job persuading investors that this could really become a thing. And one of the reasons why the investors thought that it might not become as big as as we believed it could was was because of the regulations. So, so the regulations uh, resisting innovation in many ways certainly presented a lot of challenges for us. So, I mean, in this case for you guys, um, you know, the company ended up being acquired by Twenty Three Me, and we're going to talk about that in just a, in just a little bit. I want to ask you here. You know, you were alluding to on the investment side of things. How much capital did the company raise prior to the acquisition, and what was that journey like? We ended up raising about $60 million, and the journey was a, a journey for sure. It was um, uh, you, you get such fantastic highs when you've raised uh, a financing round, particularly when you've raised money for the first time. But that high doesn't last that long in my experience, because then you've got to figure out, gosh, well, how can we now grow into these valuations? But it was a it was a, a, a great experience. It was a great learning experience for me. We raised an initial uh, seed round from angel investors, from the founders and some extended angel investors. We were lucky to raise a series A round, which took us a long time to raise. And I think I mentioned earlier, we ran out of money while we were going through that process, but we were fortunate to to get that money in. And that was a that was our first round with real sort of institutional investors, well-established investors. And, and we had a couple of great strategic investors, Novartis Venture Fund, ICMA Pharmaceuticals, and Quest Diagnostics invested as strategic investors in that round. Then we were lucky to raise a Series B round from Olive Tree Ventures and had some more traditional Silicon Valley investors like Sierra Ventures um, in that round. And and then after that Series B investment, oh, coinciding with that Series B investment was, was the pandemic. So we actually raised that Series B round without meeting any of those investors in person because um, this was at the start of the, the COVID pandemic, which also for us as a business was a real accelerant. So we were really fortunate in many ways that that the that the, the pandemic um, accelerated adoption for, for, for telehealth and and we were positioned uh, fortunately at that point to to be able to absorb that growth and that presented us with a few options. One option was to raise another financing round to really try and realize this ongoing growth. So we started looking at raising a Series C round and and had some a good amount of interest at that point. Then the uh, the other two options were we were. Uh, we were considering going public via SPAC because in 2021, there were a lot of SPACs and digital healthcare companies were in high demand. And uh, we were exploring that. In fact, I met with quite a few SPACs and um, got close to, to looking at options there. Or the third option that came about, because I think there were larger organizations that were really seeing the benefit of telehealth during COVID. Third option that came about was we we could potentially be acquired. And one of the companies that reached out to us was 23andMe. So make us an insider uh, there. You know, how was that process like? Walk us through it. So the first interaction with 23andMe came out 
through came about through uh, an investment bank who was supporting 23andMe, who I'd had a relationship with. They called me and they said, Paul, 23andMe wants to buy a telehealth company. And the only one we've suggested they consider is Lemonade. Would you take a meeting with them? And I was really excited to do that. To be honest, I was uncertain as to the strategic fit at that point. So I thought of and saw 23andMe as this genetics testing company that gives you some insight on your ancestry and a little bit of health insight, but I didn't really see them as a as a healthcare company. But I was intrigued. So I, I got the opportunity to meet Anne, founder and CEO of 23andMe at her house. And and it was a meeting that lasted much longer than we had scheduled it for. And and I immediately saw the exciting strategic fit. When you combine genetics and the provision of healthcare, you can create a personalized healthcare experience that's completely different to traditional healthcare. So one of my frustrations with traditional healthcare is we treat everyone as the mean of the average. So Alejandro, your blood pressure should be 120 over 80. Mine should be 120 over 80 because that's the the mean of the US population. But of course, that's not that's not true. Your blood pressure target should be something different based on your family history, your lifestyle choices, and most importantly, your genetics. So if you can surface your genetics and combine that with healthcare for the first time, you can start to get truly personalized advice and healthcare targets. So traditionally in the US, when you turn 40, you should go and get these certain tests. 40 is, of course, just the average of the whole of the US population. Some people should be doing that when they turn 35. And some people don't need to worry about that particular test, but they should be worried about something else instead. And your genetics plays such an important role. So Anne and I spent a lot of time talking about this idea of combining genetics and healthcare and creating a really personalized healthcare experience. And and that was the first of of a series of meetings with Anne. And, And I think a little bit like perhaps dating in the early days, you're sort of, you're both sort of thinking about how we might be a sort of fit for, for an acquisition, but neither of you really wants to talk about it. And, and it took a few meetings before we sort of got to the point of really saying, hey, maybe this, maybe, you know, this is, there's so much here, maybe it makes sense for Lemonade to become part of 23andMe. So obviously the acquisition ended up happening, 400 million, so a phenomenal outcome. Uh, you know, for everyone, especially given the amount that you guys are, had raised, no, for for those investors, I'm sure they were really happy. So, once the acquisition happens, um, you know, and this happened a couple of years ago, you know, to be more precise, around November of 2021, what typically does one of those integrations look like? You know, what are some of the safeguards that you've seen on an acquisition? You know, to try to optimize and to push for making the, the acquisition, you know, a success because most acquisitions, unfortunately, they fail. Yeah, and acquisitions are really tough. And I think I've always known that integrations always take longer than you think they're going to take. But where there is such a strategic fit, I think you can, you can make it work and you can realize the benefit of both, both perspectives. So an important thing for us, and, and um, this, this was an important thing from our investors perspective as well during the negotiations in the deal was that uh we we didn't want any of the deal price to be contingent on hitting future milestones that might be a little bit out of our control and i and i see that happen quite often in deal structures and i think that that can be difficult particularly for the founders who start to lose control of the ability to execute in their business so 
So although um, my co-founder and I had um, a partial earnout associated with the acquisition cost, it wasn't contingent on hitting um, financial milestones. Having said that, I've um, uh, been at 23andMe since the acquisition in November 2021 and been making sure that we fully integrate Lemonade into 23andMe and make sure it's really core to the future product that's being built. And the 23andMe team is doing a fantastic job of realizing the lemonade assets but it's definitely an experience that you know i think i I think all of us who've experienced it it's it's hard to integrate a new business in a a particularly a smaller business into a larger business so imagine if i was to put you into a time machine and i bring you back in time to that moment where you know you were maybe you know thinking about doing something of your own maybe even you know like selling you know that tennis equipment via you know your skill sets you know with computers but Let's say you had the opportunity of having a chat with a younger Paul and having the opportunity of giving that younger Paul one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? I think the one piece of advice is that you you really have to have determination and 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 a lot of grit to actually do it. So so I, I think it's it's almost easy to come up with reasons as to why you shouldn't do something when you're setting your own business up. It's almost easy for people to tell you why something should work uh, or couldn't work or can't work. And and we would get told many times that you you can't do this in healthcare. Uh, you can't do that in healthcare. And, and so I just think you have to have a, a huge amount of of passion and confidence and belief in, in your ability to do something, particularly if you're doing something completely new for the first time. There's not a mold to replicate or or take and improve a little bit if you're really doing something completely new. So so I think my advice back to me would be like, be a little bit more confident than you were. I think we could have perhaps launched Lemonade a little bit sooner if we were a little bit more confident. Um, and and I think, you know, believe in your believe in believe in what you're doing. I think I think the the thing that that we always tried to focus on was that we were creating something that was really superior from a patient's perspective. So we were really doing something that created, that, that, that improved healthcare ultimately. And that was, that was really important to us. I love it. So Paul, for the people that are listening, where's the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Uh, I would love to connect with anyone who's listening. Uh, I think probably the best way is uh, to connect with me on LinkedIn and uh, yeah, love to chat to you there. Amazing. Well, easy enough. Well, Paul, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show. It has been an honor to have you with us today. Oh, Alejandro, I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.